الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند بالستاين ريمبرد ويز يوسف الرماوي روبرت مارتن الناصر مشني Welcome to another edition of Australia's only radio program that is totally dedicated to the Palestinian cause in English language. We would like to, le- to welcome our listeners on the AM dial and those who will join us later on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. I've been waiting for tomorrow to come. I've been This is a special episode on the Sorry Day and an interview with Kucha Edwards, the voice for the Aboriginal cause. And uh, this is also a song uh, for uh, Kucha, Waiting. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Tomorrow to come Heading towards tomorrow and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today, a show from our archives featuring Kutcher Edwards. National Sorry Day was yesterday, the 26th of May, which commemorates and remembers and acknowledges the mistreatment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people who were forcibly removed from their homes, families and communities, which we know as the Stolen Generation. Well, listeners, we're very excited to be enjoyed by Kutcher Edwards, who's a prominent Aboriginal activist. He's a community worker and works all over these Indigenous lands for Aboriginal rights. Welcome, Kutcher. Uh, good evening on this uh, beautiful day. But uh, 3CR, I've been here for probably 20, 25, 30 years. But um, great to finally sit with the Palestinian brothers and and people and, and uh, your community radio uh, program. It's an honor to be with you, uh, Kucha. Uh, you said uh, on your uh, official website that music is not what I do, it is who I am. Mm. Tell me about uh, how important music is in your life and how that started. I remember as a kid uh, being in choirs and, and uh, the fulfillment I had when, I, when I'd sing. Uh, I remember as a kid hopping in you know, maybe a, uh, an old F.J. Holden and uh, listening to uh, music such as uh, The Seekers, rock and roll and riding out along the bay, all bound for morning town many miles away. I was only a kid and listening to musicians or, or singer-songwriters like uh, Karen Carpenter and the Carpenters. And then later in life, you become a teenager and, and uh, 
you chase this uh, share in football and that becomes your your passion. Well, it's an avenue to become part of a a group going to training on Tuesday and Thursday nights and then running out with your, your football club on a Saturday afternoon and and being accepted. So sport and Aussie rules and becomes your passion. But then life hands you sometimes uh, cards that you're not really wanting. And so I remember as a, as a budding adult, 17, 18, 19, alcohol and, and uh, going out to pubs and clubs and, and uh, every time that I'd have this, uh, the alcohol, it'd give you Dutch courage to get up and, and sing. And, and family members and cousins and, and the community, community would say, oh, Kutcher, why don't you, why don't you join a band? Mm. And, uh, and I ended up uh, uh, creating a band called Wat Belimba with about 11 Aboriginal men here in Fitzroy and Melbourne and that was back in, I think it was about 88, 89 uh, and uh, with 11 Aboriginal men came 11 egos <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, that didn't last very long uh, so and then I ended up joining an Aboriginal band with uh, five other, uh, four other members, uh, cousins of mine, uh, called Blackfire, and and Blackfire was was this avenue that we could sing about the plight of the Aborigine, uh, you know, in the injustice that was happening within our community here in Fitzroy and and Melbourne, and so Blackfire was this avenue that, and uh, but it also took us uh, uh, to Asia. And China and Japan and Taiwan and and so music was this avenue. We we saw mm. it as an avenue and escape. I call it dropping a pebble in a pond, and the ripple is what it is, you know. And so, travelling to these places and and getting to uh, inform not only the non-indigenous people here in Australia, but people around the world as to who we are as Aboriginal people and, and so music's been this great friend of mine and it gives me the opportunity to voice what's not only in the iPad upstairs but my spirit and and to understand that it's not about performing as a magician would go out there and or, or a person in a, in a circus would start juggling and to perform in front of the audience it's not about the performance, it's about knowing that what you're singing about is the plight of your people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Kutcher, this this show is going to air on Saturday, yeah. which is the um, 26th of May, and we know how important that is yeah. for Aboriginals because it's a commemoration of National Sorry Day. Yeah. And I might give our listeners just a quick synopsis of what what that is and how it meant, and then we're going to turn over to you, um, yeah. Kutcher. And if you can tell us, as an Aboriginal man, yeah. dispossessed from from his land, where sovereignty uh, was never ceded and no treaty has ever been signed what that actually means to you. So for our listeners, um, National Sorry Day is an annual event held on the 26th of May, and it's the 20th anniversary since 1998. It remembers and commemorates the mistreatment of our Indigenous Australians, the original custodians of this land. And the date of the 26th of May carries great significance for for the stolen generations as well. And in in particular, this is uh, following a report in 1997 called Bringing Them Home. And at the time, the report 
recommended to Prime Minister John Howard that he should say sorry. And he, he refused to, as we know. <laughs> and what he did say was he did not subscribe to the black armband view of history. Now, what he did on the 26th of August 1999 was say a deep and sincere regret that Indigenous Australians had suffered injustices under the practices of past generations and for the hurt and trauma that may many Indigenous people continue to feel as a consequence of those practices. Mm. Uh, it wasn't until the 13th of February 2008 that then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd moved a motion of apology uh, to the Indigenous people in the Stolen Generation. Kevin Rudd became the first Australian Prime Minister to publicly apologise to the Stolen Generation on behalf of the Australian Federal Government. Mm. Now, w- word, words are, are pretty cheap in this instance, and, and they're pretty cheap in the sense that it's now 10 years since Kevin Rudd, 20 years since that report, yeah. and we know the plight of the Aboriginal male and female, our first yeah. Australians, our Indigenous people, hasn't got any better, could you? Yeah. I, I, I did a talk uh, on Monday at Loyola College in uh, Watsonia to 250 Year 10 students. I walk in there in an auditorium and uh, the faces and, and year, what, they're probably 15, 16-year-olds. And who's this big Aboriginal guy walking in? And I'm fairly robust. I'm six foot four. I, I'm built, built like a... Sherman tank and and, uh, and and kids are smirking and laughing and 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 I sort of said to them, listen, uh, I get this all the time. It's not it's not about me being liked by you or disliked. My job, in in my belief, is is to drop that pebble. Now, what I explain to them is that every year. Um, on the 26th of May, for the last, like you said, the last 20 years, I remember the, the very first uh, sorry day. My son was nine, and uh, we all went into uh, State Parliament House and we laid white, didn't matter what sort of flower it was, uh, we asked uh, all the community to, to bring in white flowers and lay on the uh, lay them on the steps of Parliament House. So, so the, the steps were awash, of, of white flowers uh, 20 years ago. And uh, later we all walked down to uh, Treasury Gardens. I can't remember if it was then, but I ended up meeting uh, Bono from U2 and uh, The Edge from U2. They were in Australia at the time. And um, later that evening, my son called his grandmother, my mum. She was living in, in Gippsland in a town called uh, Terralgan. And he said, Nan, uh, guess what we did? And he's only nine years old. And she says, what, son? She calls all their, all their grandchildren son or daughter. Or, and she said, what, what did you do, son? And he said, Nan, we laid flowers on the, on the steps of Parliament House for you. And she said, what's that for? She, she, was, she was oblivious to what it really represented. Mm. And he said, Nan, sorry, day. And she goes, what's that? Wow. So, so the reality for my mum was that even though all this politics is happening around my mother, she was oblivious to it. Yeah. She had six of her children in 1967, the same year that Aborigines are finally bestowed as citizens in this country. Mm-hmm. On the 27th of May, 1967, the referendum... A question is posed to non-Indigenous Australia. Should we 
give Aborigines the right to become citizens of their own country, the right to become part of this country after interference. And my mother just got on with tomorrow, not looking at the past. And this is what I'm trying to tell these students on Monday. And when I think about it, the spirit in, in which my mother and father conducted themselves after, the, after having six of their children forcibly removed from them, my, my father, Nugget Edwards, stood six foot six and there wasn't a damn thing he could do about it. It was law. Police stood alongside government workers to forcibly remove their children from them. And that's the blight, that's the, that's the mark on this country and non-Indigenous Australia let it happen. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad thing about it. And my job is to, to inform the uninformed, these young kids at Loyola College on Monday morning. Well, the blight is that it, it, it took it, only 10 years ago did we say sorry. And yeah. not only have we only just said sorry, the fact is every day the, it, the pain and suffering is manifesting itself in an, any number of ways mm. from, from uh, health rates to um, life expectancy to infant mortality and we stuff. We are the most imprisoned people yeah. per on capita on the planet. On the planet. So if, if we come back and, and um, interestingly in our pre-chat, could you, we, we, mm. you, I, I learned something today uh, which I hadn't ever heard about, but um, the king's the king's patent, yeah, yeah. And uh, our listeners who are familiar with um, obviously Palestinian rights, they, they, they've heard all sorts of. Um, uh, we did a story on the Balfour Declaration, but they'd be they'd be here. This was a letter sent to South Australia by King William the Fourth in eighteen thirty six, and ultimately what it did was um, give our Aboriginal people the legal right to continue to occupy and enjoy their lands as they had always done. And the actual words, and listen to these words from the King's letter, provided always that nothing in those our letters contained shall affect or be construed to affect the rights of any Aboriginal natives of the said province to the actual occupation or enjoyment in their own persons or in the persons of the descendants of any lands therein now actually occupied or enjoyed by such natives. And the correlation between that language and his Majesty's government view with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home of the Jewish people and will use their best endeavours to facilitate the achievement of this object, it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. Now, both of these um, proclamations by kings, Mm. kings of Britain, onto lands occupied by ancient and indigenous people required the terra nullis, Mm. a, a nobody's land. And even even though um, Terra Nullis was uh, uh, finished off in 1992 in Mabo, mm. the reality is the High Court held that since 1788, the proclamation of uh, uh, the Commonwealth held. So the fact that Terra Nullis existed from 1788 until 1992. <coughs> mm. Now, for that to happen, they had to, uh, for a settler colonialist uh, power... They had to get rid of who was here. And you talked about stolen generation, mm. but we should talk about the 700 languages and tribes and uh, those that don't exist anymore. Mm. I can talk personally about Mm-mm. what it was like to have to, in 1967, come down to Melbourne, 
The irony is it was in a police car. I can't remember it. Forced to live in a children's home in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, uh, a place called Arana Methodist Children's Home, run by the uh, Uniting Church, I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. And um, 11 years of, of uh, institutionalisation, uh, not because I had done, done anything wrong to society as such, but because I was born black in this country. And so when I became a so-called, you know, adult, I got taught just down the road here in uh, Cambridge Street, uh, Collingwood, uh, at a at a at a college called Curry College, uh, about why I was forcibly removed, and it was because of politics and ignorance, and and then later in life you have you have a prime minister John Howard who refuses to apologise for past decisions of of other governments well I don't know who was in control in 1967 can't recall who the prime minister was but to know that that policy uh, the assimilation policy and the white Australia policy had ramifications on this little Aboriginal boy Mm-mm. and so when I when I found that out as an adult the person that I turned on was myself you know, I can sit here as a 53-year-old man and come to the realisation that 20 years later, of 20 years of sobriety and, and 20 years of abstinence of, of uh, mind-altering substances is that I can honestly, to this day, say that I understand who I am mm-hmm. and who I'm connected to and that I descend from so many generations of Aboriginal people. Last November, I did a performance in, in Mildura for the return of, of my great, 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 grandfather to his traditional place where he was found, Mungo Man. On, on Lake Mungo. And that old fella is not some remains. That old fella is, is who I just explained, is my great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. So when scientists proclaim uh, we have the remains of Mungo Man, that's somebody. That's a human. That's a human. And so I am connected to that old fella. Mm-hmm. And so when when... Those people removed me from my country, from my language, from my descendancy, my mum, my dad, my grandfathers, my grandmothers, my uncles, my aunties, my spirituality, my dreaming, my culture, and placed me in that children's home. There's an old saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of a boy. Mm-hmm. That's the same. You can remove me from my Aboriginality, what makes me Aboriginal, but it'll always be in me. I am Aborigine. I am Mati Mati. And so that's what I can talk about. I can, I can talk about what it personally means to me and what Sorry Day means to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not only to me, but my family, you know. I was just going to say that what you're talking about seems to be something that the Palestinians are going through every single day and the parallels mm. are, are really, really scary. 
But the one thing that can't be taken away from the Palestinians is the fact that Palestine is their country. Mm. And by listening to you, mm. Australia is always going to be your country for your people, no matter mm. what happens. Mm. And I think that having you on this show is, is it's really eerie to hear the similarities that what happened hundreds of years ago here, which we don't hear about a lot, mm. is actually happening today and mm. will happen tomorrow, not only here, but horrifically in Palestine, because today there's going modern-day colonialism. Mm. And what they are doing is they're stealing the land and they're actually denying that these people exist. Um, and it's just a very, very scary thing. And these two gentlemen here, being Yusuf and Nasser, can attest to it. And their, their parents have said that, you know, Palestine will always be their home. Even though everyone is denying them the rights, it will always be their home. And I think, you know, the, the similarities are incredible. Mm. So where, where, where the statistics tell the, 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 the plain truth is the life expectancy of an Aboriginal in Australia mm. is 10 years less than a non-Indigenous person. I, lo- I look at that and, and I'm 53. My use-by date is 57. So I, four years from now, I'm not supposed to be here. Well, Statistics will say. I hope, I hope say. that's not the case. <laughs> no, but I'm... I'm, yeah. I'm Statistically, you're right. That's the reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and if, re- you, if you do live to 75, it means somebody dropped off at 45. That's right. For, for the average well, to be 65. Well, well like I've said, I'm, I'm 20 years into sobriety. Mm-hmm. I was on my deathbed in Panch Hospital, age 32. Yeah. I'd had a heart attack at age 32. Right. Uh, so I'm a man who's beat the statistics. I, yeah. I was gone at age 32. And what happened to me was my son was, was nine when this happened. So 20 years after bringing them home report, so when it was tabled in 1997, 1998, I had my epiphany. And uh, the reality is that in 1997, my father passed away. And in 19, on, on the 21st of January 1998, my father came to me in an apparition on my deathbed in Panch Hospital. Now, people might suggest that I'm off with the fairies. Remember, I don't care what other people think of me. I know my father came to me and told me not to put my son through the same situation of what happened to me and him. I met my father when I was 17 17 years old after being taken off him. So when he came to me, when he came to me in that hospital in an apparition, I know that he was telling me to get off the train wreck. And therefore I did, or else I would have been one of those statistics. Another statistic. In 2015, Indigenous people were 13 times more likely to be imprisoned and made up one in four prisoners in Australia. Though they represent only 1.5% of the population of Australia, one in four prisoners is, is Aboriginal. Um, the infant, so if you're under five years old and born a Palestinian or under five years old and born an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander in Australia, you are six times more likely to die before you're five than if you're a Jewish person mm. or, a, or a non-Indigenous person in Australia. And, and the numbers are just so correlatable because settler colonialism requires a genocide of the Indigenous people. And we... we, we Always remember that this is Aboriginal land, always was and always will be. Um, one of the um, 
really, really startling facts is the maternal mortality. This is mums dying in childbirth. Mm. And it, it's practically zero in the Western world. Mm. For Aboriginal mothers, it's seven per thousand. Mm. So this is women, Aboriginal women in Australia, seven per thousand will die during childbirth. It's just a staggering number. So when we think that the apology was 20 years ago and uh, uh, the sorry came 10 years ago and we have like people like Pauline Hanson and her ilk saying Aboriginal people, we spend billions of dollars on them. Well, the reality is we spend $30 billion on useless wars. We spend $30 billion on religious schools and private school funding. We spend $10 billion on uh, wars in uh, uh, Arab and Muslim countries. And that's not quite enough to make up for all the pain and suffering that Kuchi, you and your family and your mm. people have suffered, but mm. we'll go a long way to doing it. If these people were truly silent, so what they wouldn't do is participate in allowing it to happen in another country. Now, they can turn around and say that they're sorry here, or not say that they're sorry, but dance around it. But then on the other hand, say that Israel is defending itself and doing all of these things, whilst it is clear-cut colonialism. They, how dare they turn around and say, we're sorry for what we did here, but allow it to happen in a different country? They're not sorry. Um, Australia and Israel are the same mentality. And we had our speech, um, uh, my speech on, on, on the weekend at our rally, and you know, I called it out for exactly what it is. Australia, the the ruling um, parties, n- none of them is truly sorry because if they were truly sorry, they would make reparations. They would make treaty with the people. They would honour the custodians of the land. They would wouldn't allow a situation like what happened to Dylan in in uh, Northern Territory to occur. Um, they would be teaching Aboriginal languages in schools as opposed to um, four hour language classes are being uh, cancelled. They're choosing between teaching the Indigenous kids. Their native language, and there were 700 languages here 300 years ago, and now we're down to about 150. Mm. That they're choosing, choosing to teach them English rather than their indigenous culture. Mm. I mean, the, the ongoing crimes continue unabated. I think uh, we're, we're heading towards the interview, so uh, mm. in the last uh, one and a half minutes or two minutes, I want to give the microphone to you to yep. choose uh, your words. It's not a question. You yep. have the microphone to say what yep. you want in the last two minutes. Yeah. So... Yeah, for for me, Sorry Day on Saturday, the 26th of May, is not only Sorry Day. Uh, it's every time that that a memorial pops up of my um, of my two brothers, of my sister, of my nephews, of my mother, of my father. Every time that. Apology Day, the 13th of February, pops up in our psyche. Every year that Australia celebrates Australia Day, my people mourn. And so it's the the culmination of all these moments in time that, that we can't get back, and the memorials. Not only the memorial days, but the birthdays. Because we celebrate the birthdays when my brothers are physically not here. I know they're around. I know they're still, their spirit still walks and visits us. That's what each year means to us, not just on Sorry Day. So, yeah, we, we live in... 
we're f- physical manifestations of walking spirits on this place, you know. And so these dates, they mightn't mean much to to people outside this this studio or 21 Smith Street. But they do to us as Aboriginal people because we are the here and now of our ancestry, you know. So all I can all I can really sort of thank you guys uh, is that you're dropping your own pebbles in your circles, within your tribes, within your communities. And so that's what it means to me is that we're not in the canoe by ourselves, you know. We're with you, brother. Yeah. We are uh, speechless, yeah. uh, to say the least, that you have our full solidarity as a person mm. uh, to your family, to your tribe, and to the Aboriginal uh, population, all of them. Mm. And to your struggle. And to your struggle. Yeah. And um, mm. we hope that one day justice will prevail yeah. to the Aboriginal, uh, Aboriginal yeah. people and to us. Don't forget, listeners, Radiothon's coming up. We need your support. Go to 3cr.org.au and support the station Our live show's coming up in a couple of weeks where you'll be able to call in. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, share the podcast, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine. I've been waiting for...